Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. If creation is made up of all possibilities, does that mean there are all possible versions of God? If people are victims of poltergeist attacks early in life, what happens to them later in life? Are there really ghouls? What? Government, um, okay, somebody's controlling my mind here. Are there really government mind control experiments going on? <laughs> Greetings and welcome to the 575th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those far-flung questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And our scheduled guest this evening is sick, uh, as are a lot of other people. So we're switching next week's open line show to tonight. So we welcome your calls this evening. Numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Or 401-766-1240. That is locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com is where you're going to want to go for that. Okay, well, let's get going with our emails. We have uh, a couple hundred here from Facebook, so let's start with those. Uh, this is from Joel, and Joel does not say where he is from. Okie dokes. Uh, Joel from Question Mark uh, writes to us, I am rel- a relatively new listener, and perhaps this question has been answered already, but here goes. If I have the right idea, according to the math, absolutely anything imaginable or unimaginable does indeed exist uh, somewhere or somewhen on the same plane of existence that we inhabit in our dimension. Uh, now, if this is true, could you on that for a minute? But go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, now, if this is true, could not one or multiple of these universes contain only one all-powerful, om- omniscient uh, something able to cross through the veil that separates all others and af- and affect the inhabitants? If multiverse theory is proven true, does it also prove the existence of God? But then, if everything is possible, I suppose there could be a larger deity that eats gods for brunch. Uh, I feel these these truths are far beyond our human uh, capabilities uh, to get to the bottom of. Also, using the multiverse theory, could there not exist a plane of uh, plane where yourself, out of your body, might indeed be pulled into uh, after death? Everything is uh, possible, right? Well, I suppose so. And uh, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose. Okay, I'm just I'm, I'm just going to grab this back so I can. There's a lot to. Um like yeah, I, no, I should, I should have this, marked that question. Yeah, no, I, well, I should have. Anyway, um, okay, well, let's um, let's look at the background of what Joel is asking here. Uh, we talk all the time. Uh, maybe some of you are sick of it about the multiverse, and that's our particular approach to the paranormal. We don't believe in spirit worlds or all this sort of uh, 19th century stuff. We tend to think that uh, the quantum physics, or at least those in in the field of quantum physics, physicists who happen to believe in this theory are correct because this has been what I've seen. It's the best way to explain what I've seen in paranormal work um, since the 1970s and Ben tends to agree since he's been involved uh, in the uh, early part of the century. So what, what we're looking at here is the theory that there are all kinds, probably an infinite number of parallel realities to ours. What, what you see in your life is not what you get. There's a lot more to it and I think we suspect that our ancestors certainly did, looking at their beliefs. And I think that, that when we have uh, paranormal experiences, we're not uh, involved with spirits of dead people. We're not involved with the people 
who are actually there in parallel worlds, or maybe it's not people. Anything can possibly exist. Uh, and that, that's the gist of, of the background to this question. The idea that, that everything that can exist, could exist, or ever, ever will exist, does exist, all simultaneously, no past, no future. And um, physicists of all kinds get into this, the, the nature of time and consciousness, that w- there is, uh, all things are simultaneous and that within that simultaneity is, is everything that ever could be. We often joke, Ben, and we do the Halloween show, if we, or a Halloween show around that time, that the, uh, the, the great pumpkin from the Charlie Brown cartoons that have been so famous for so long. Uh, Linus is always talking about the great pumpkin coming on Halloween and giving presents to all the good children and all this business. Oh, Everybody yes. laughs. But had there not been some kind of being of that kind somewhere in the multiverse, somewhere, somewhen, Charles Schultz, the author of the comic strip, never would have been able to think of it. That's what we believe anyway. And, and we... we um, kind of have seen evidence for that sort of thing many times and that's the background to this question so um and again i think we've got to make a distinction here in joel's question he he says uh talking about the plane of existence that we inhabit in our own dimension dimensions and parallel worlds are not the same thing we use the term interchangeably very often especially us those of us who do not have doctoral degrees but it really isn't the same thing so but terms can really mess us up when you're even thinking about this stuff now uh, let me just review this question again now if this this is true could not one or multiple of these universes contain uh, only one all-powerful omniscient something able to cross through the veil that separates all others and infects the inhabitants Okay, I think uh, we can safely use the term God here as, as, as a, a generic term for a, this all-powerful force or something that, that may be uh, involved in this, and, and may have initiated the creation that did all this. Theologically, that's my background, uh, I would say that w- when you're talking about God in this context, you look back to what you may have been taught in religious education classes or Sunday school, regardless of your religion that the creation is a result of God's love. Well, if God's love is infinite, why wouldn't creation be infinite? Why would there just be one creation? So, theologically, the whole multiverse idea makes sense. God created every possible possibility. Right? And one of the things that comes in, and we just sent our next book to our um, agent today. It's finally finished, believe it or not. And we have a section in there about why is there evil? How come uh, a, a good God would permit evil to exist? It, it's an age-old question, although the ancients didn't seem to ask it very much. They just threw up their hands and said, well, hey, it is what it is. But we tend to be a little more picky, and we'll question God on many things like this. So, but if you have a multiverse containing all possibilities, it may very well be a perfect creation, because all things may be in balance, and that is a perfect creation. We may not, might not see it here because we're still in nursery school when it comes to spirituality, and we don't see all our other lives because across all these worlds. Well, then we're very self-centered too. We're very self-centered, and that destroys any awareness of this unity that helps you see the bigger picture. So, uh, so that, that's the background to all this. So, uh, to get back to Joel's question, maybe there is a complete super. Well, we believe there is a, a God who is not only is sort of outside all of this, there must be, one would think, a center to 
consciousness centered to the multiverse and it isn't just you know, a complete circus or, or even a harmony without any center perhaps we because all things being well this gets into the chaos theory in mathematics I suppose we don't need to do that but the idea of, of everything being a fractal um, perhaps we are kind of fractals of God within us there may be a central consciousness and we kind of get into that in, the, in our book as well but uh, I think that perhaps uh, we, I would agree with Joel that, there, that, that God, what we would conceive of as God, is outside of all the worlds. I, I, always, I always use the term, God is coexistent with all time and conterminous with all space. In other words, everywhere and everyone. So, so sort of outside. So what say you, Ben? No, I, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. It's, it's a question that I don't feel I'm apt to answer. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it is what it is, and to, to try and, and define it, particularly with our limited language and vocabulary and concepts, because you can say the same word and people will hear it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, probably is, but, you know, I think the, the general idea that God is outside of all this, yeah. Uh, now, on the other side, uh, now let's go on with Joel's question. If multiverse theory is proven true, does it also prove the existence of God? Well, I mean, what, what constitutes proof? See, this is where I, I kind of have problems with modern thinking. What do you mean proof? Uh, proof according to what? I think our whole epistemology, our whole way of knowing what we know or thinking of, of what we know or thinking that we know that we know, you can't even say it, uh, is, is faulty. Uh, we, we, the proof is given in our terms and our, if our epistemology is faulty, then the proof means nothing. So I, I don't know if this, this even means anything, trying to prove the existence of God. I mean, wh what proof do you need? I mean, people have been trying to do it for centuries, and there, there's always someone who's like, well, well but we don't know that, because it's like you're trying to... Well, yeah, it, it's, it's a false construct. Now, if people ask me if you know, all the, these famous atheists were, were, were brilliant people or smart people, like Trotsky or Lenin, uh, whom I personally think was evil. Or Nietzsche. Nietzsche or uh, Stephen Fry, uh, he was uh, you know, a well-known atheist too. You know the fellow who played the Jeeves and the yeah. Chiefs and Worcester comedies, and he's a well-known British actor. I mean, I, I don't have any respect for these people's intellectual ability or, 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 or capacity because the, how can they miss the whole point of the universe or the multiverse in this case? It's God. You, you miss that. I, I don't think you have a lot of smarts. A lot of people who are atheists, and I know quite a few, are. Axe grinders. They, they, they are people with very good hearts who don't like the state of the world. They have a, a grudge against God, either because they grew up in an oppressive religion, or they just, they're good-hearted and they don't like the evil in the world, and they think we're all, the rest of us are all saps for, for worshiping God. And I, I can understand that. But if you look beyond all that to what we just talked about, I think you begin to see a bigger picture of God. God is not a big person. Well, he is, but he, she, it, or them. But he's not, not a big human being with human standards and anthropomorphic tendencies, as we say in theology. Uh, it just None of this has any meaning when you're talking about God. And uh, you can read the book <laughs> when it's published later this year and see what we're talking about. We'll talk about it on the air. Anyway. I mean, even, even Kant was, was, uh, would say, said in the end, like, you know, I mean, without God, life would be meaningless. And he was an atheist. Emmanuel Kant, yeah. That's true. So, I mean, well, yeah, even a, you know, a lot of atheists at, at, toward the end will, will sometimes recant that and realize that, you know, sometimes the, the goofy... I, I'll ask them, what God don't you believe in? 
So nothing whatsoever, you know, or others will give, describe some some silly thing, and I don't believe in either. So I mean, it's just you, you can't intellectualize all this. So anyway, here's uh, we'll go on with Joel's uh, very uh, uh, involved and uh, good and compl- complex question. Uh, but then, if everything is possible, I suppose there could be a larger deity that eats gods for brunch. I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm thinking of, of Psalm 85 and the Council of the Gods, which nobody can explain uh, beyond polytheism, and Christians get very upset. Uh, and uh, confused by that. Anyway, it's still there in the Psalm 85, uh, where God is, is among the, these other gods and lecturing them about being nice to people, so to speak, and I, I've always found it very interesting. Hmm. And uh, Joel goes on, I feel these truths are far beyond our human capabilities to get to the bottom of. Well, we agree. Also, using multiverse theory, uh, could there not exist a plane where yourself, out of your body, might indeed be pulled into after death? Everything is possible, right? Okay, I think I think how I'm reading that question, Ben, is that uh, we're always saying, well, that, that it's all very physical. That when you die, quote unquote, here, or as we say, translate, you uh, will somehow um, you don't go into some spirit world where you're separated from your body because you you wouldn't be you. You're not you without your body, or you're not you're, the body is a, is, a, is a corpse without a soul. You know that that sort of thing. Yeah, what, whatever you mean by soul. Machine. Yeah, exactly. And we don't see it that way, and we we haven't seen that in the paranormal either. Well, it's like a, what, one of my one of, one of my um, my former professors and I got talking about something very similar to this, and he was like, you know what would what thought really depresses me? It's like that essentially I'm just a bag of meat, uh, stimulated by electricity. It's like that's a very depressing thought to me. It's like I don't like to think that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not what a lot of ancient religions thought. It's not what ancient Christianity thought, despite what it looks like today. Mm. So uh, I think what he's saying here is, could there be parallel worlds? Because we're always saying you're existing in all these parallel worlds. It's all you. And when the leaf falls off the tree here, as it were, there's still plenty of leaves, and, and you just you're aware of of that instead, mm-hmm. where you're already living. And uh, could some of those worlds be spirit-like worlds? Because all things are possible. I think that that's what Joel's asking here. Oh, yes. Anybody, if we read your email, you're very welcome to call in and correct us if we're misinterpreting your questions. But, I, I th- yeah, I think that's possible. But I think those, um, I've heard physicists talk about this sort of thing. And uh, worlds where, say, the f- laws of physics are different to the point where people People can fly, say. There must be some things like that because it can be conceived of. They're very rare. Okay? Whereas um, there's a certain, in this balance, there would be more worlds where people can't fly. Okay? Or where people are more material in some form than just pure spirit. Okay? Yeah. And the question is, what is pure spirit? Is that another form of matter? It's all energy, really, because matter is just another form of energy. Right. So again, these questions will will bring it down into uh, into uh, intellectual confusion. But I mean, they are good ones, nevertheless. They're worth thinking about. And everything is possible, right? Yes, Joel, you are correct, and you've sent us a great question and great fruit for thought. That was a good. Yeah, that was a good like fifteen yeah. minutes spent on that. I'm so grateful we have such intelligent listeners. It's really and and those who feel they need to learn can listen to and maybe pick some stuff up. I think that's great. Not like certain other shows where you have to be a nitwit to appreciate. Anyway, I shouldn't. I didn't say that, did I? Okay, moving on. So Jimmy writes to us, uh, I am very interested in the paranormal, and I have recently started to investigate these things myself. I'm a fan of your theories concerning these things and tend to agree with you on a lot of stuff. 
As I said in the message to your show's page, I think my friend's case is uh, one of the more fascinating ones, and I think uh, because of her relative silence about it, it has been somewhat overlooked. It's a classic poltergeist case with multiple witnesses. Uh, it definitely shaped her life uh, and led led her down to um, the path to two degrees in psychology, one of them being transpersonal. Uh, she has had a few odd experiences since then, and... Being her friend, I want to help her in any way that I can. We have discussed writing a book together, but uh, she is a little hung up on this parasite thing and uh, causing her more grief. If you can give me any advice based on your experience in this field, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Okay, well, thank you, Jimmy. Very, very interesting question and observation. Uh, and, of course, th- that that was the prompt for one of the opening questions of the show today, which was, what happens to people later in life when when they go through this poltergeist thing as as a child and i'm thinking in terms of because i was just writing about it in our own book uh, of uh, marcy the little girl in the bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974 bridgeport connecticut that i was involved with with ed lorraine warren uh, a real shockeroo for me the first real poltergeist i'd ever really dealt with and uh is you you can read about it in uh, uh, william j hall's new book the uh uh, world's most haunted house a uh, great book did great detective work on that interviewed not only me but many of the police officers who were involved probably the best witnessed poltergeist uh, phenomena of the 20th century anyway uh, right here in new england but uh i would say first of all jimmy uh, i would let your your friend kind of make the decision uh it's wonderful that she was able to go ahead and get two degrees and and continue um and and let this experience anything can be well you know the old cliche you know if you have lemons and make lemonade well you can make lemonade out of a lot more than than just lemons maybe because you you can and we were better and i talk about this a lot looking at the bright side now we're here in in new england uh we got the uh, 30 feet of snow, at least it feels like it. We can't park on the street. Anybody in our, in our listening area uh, knows what we're talking Welcome about. Welcome to Little Siberia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and I love the winter, but even I've had enough, okay? and uh, But you look at the bright side. I mean, there are no mosquitoes. That's true. Uh, no bugs uh, bothering you. There are no, um, no ticks. No ticks. Yep, that's right. Course, yeah. um, the animals uh, hopefully are indoors, are comfortable. Uh, everyone is spending more time maybe together because they can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, no choice. And uh, so you know, you, uh, you know, my truck is in the shop, but hey, it leaves us an extra space in the driveway. <laughs> that's true. So look at the bright side. So uh, the bright side of these cases is that maybe it will stimulate the intellect, stimulate even maybe the spirituality. Uh, if there is an awareness that you're dealing with parasites, not with ghosts or demons or anything, uh, you, you, you can bring in positive energy into your life in order to repel these creatures. Uh, parasites we refer to uh, are what we believe and what we see as life forms uh, upon which the folklore about demons and even vampires is based in human cultures. Uh, but what they really are, in our experience, is life forms from par- these, some, some of these parallel worlds uh, that will uh, come in and feed off the, the uh, energy, the negative energy people put out. Now, that's, it's hard to put a scientific finger on that, but that's what they do. And um, they essentially see us as food sources. 
you know, cattle, as it were, and we've even found them farming, for lack of a better term, families and even whole communities, and you can look back through history and see that. That's our opinion, uh, strange as it may sound. But in any case, uh, that is, if a bad experience can be turned into a good one, as this, this uh, young lady has done, uh, so much the better for her. Uh, the little girl, Marcy, in the Bridgeport case uh, seemed to be the center of this. It, it, these things will pick on the most vulnerable in our family, and for some reason, they seem to pick on one person at a time. Uh, I had a case in, in uh, Rhode Island here, right in our listening area, starting in 1998, that led from uh, a parasitical infestation. Well, well, actually, there were two. One seemed subservient to the other. They do seem to have a pecking order and even a culture at times. Uh, and, and this uh, one could not, after we worked with the, the, the woman in the household, uh, the, the thing could not reach her anymore, and it went after the little girl. So they seem to go through, even in groups, go through certain people in the family one at a time. Strange thing, but that's the way it seems to be. So um, I would say uh, if you plan to write a book, uh, would that uh, start it all up again? Well, it depends on what sort of parasite this is. Some of them do attach themselves to people, sometimes to families for generations. And they really need to know more about this in order to um, give you a more constructive and intelligent answer. However, I would say, Jimmy, l- let the young lady make her decision. If she wants to get in touch with us, we, we can perhaps further advise. But um, I think writing a book about the experience is not necessarily going to stir things up again, especially if it was a long time ago. But we'd like to know more about it before we, we answer. What I do mean, you if you want to leave it behind, like that's, that's totally her decision. Very, it, yeah. This, this, very this stuff can be pretty traumatizing. Absolutely. I mean, you should have seen this stuff in the Bridgeport house, and then I had a case a year later that was... Uh, Almost as crazy, except the press wasn't involved. So, anyway, that just made it worse. Anyhow, uh, there you have it. And um, let's uh, let's move on to the next one there. Okie doke. So, Yvette from Whitensville, uh, Massachusetts, writes to us, uh, I would like to know why every movie, book, etc., that I read about spirits, they're all bad and evil. I know they're not all bad, but uh, no, but no one ever talks about the good ones. Most of the paranormal investigators wear black and have skeletons and all these weird things and horrid posters all around. I think this is false advertising, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's silly. I mean, you, well, I, I think when you, when you mean they have skeletons, you mean they they uh, portray skeletons and stuff and ghosts on like their websites. Like, and like all they have like a Jolly Roger, like on yeah, the, yeah. Like I mean, you know, and such. I don't know how they expect people to take them seriously. I mean, any serious pursuit of this field. We're looking for research. Like, yeah. Well, I think they don't have a skeleton. Think of the boneless chicken ranch or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, uh, well, anyway, but no, I, I, that's not what event means. But in any case, I think um, you're right about that. Certainly. Uh, let, me, let me just see. Something that I'm very uh, verbal. Sure. Yeah, I just want to see the the the, the parts of the, the question of taking them in order. Yeah, every movie, book, etc. is bad and evil. Well, yes, uh, that's good entertainment. And uh, if anybody gets their paranormal education from Hollywood, I mean, as we say in Rhode Island, forget about it because it's just it's just not going to be of, of any use. There, there have been some intriguing films, and we used to have Murray Silver. We have to have Murray Silver on again. Somebody wrote in and said, where's Murray Silver? Uh, currently running for... Uh, mayor of mayor, Savannah, yeah, Georgia. That's yeah. right, but he's, he's also a man with a lot of uh, connections in Hollywood and, uh, and in Washington, D.C., and he has uh, some interesting uh, points of view on some of these films. But th- there are some films that are... Well, they say involve spirits, but there's some uh, films that involve the paranormal... 
that uh, most of them do seem to be negative, like the conjuring and think of that, and everybody's scared and screaming and running out of the house and all this. <laughs> but there are some positive ones, too. I'm thinking of the movie Dragonfly. Dragonfly? Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize it. I think, uh, was it uh, Nicolas Cage? Or Kevin Costner, I think, was in it. And I can't remember the, the, the actors, but his wife was a, um, a relief worker or a, do- a doctor who worked in, um, I believe it was South America or somewhere, and, and she was killed in a bus crash. I don't want to spoil this for everybody, but, um, but apparently she was expecting a baby at the time, and they didn't know it. And she was, she was killed, but in the end, the, the local uh, indigenous people saved the baby. And something kept telling him, and he kept seeing, and it seemed real spooky. But in the end, it was incredibly beautiful because she led him to this village, and he found their baby. That was one of the most beautiful movies I ever saw. That does sound really nice, actually. You know, and that, that's uh, the good side of the paranormal there, and I think it is mostly is the good side. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, what was that, that show Mom used to watch, Touched by an Angel. Right? Oh yes, it was Maya Angelou and a few others. Yeah, that yeah, was really positive, and, and that that was essentially quote unquote spirits, you know, and that sort of thing. So there is a lot of positive out there, and um, we'll come back to this after the break because it's 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 uh, interesting stuff. All right, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, who keeps dropping things. Uh, Right here on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful but fresh frozen Blackstone Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. This is your Mater D in the Tiki Bar, Joe Callahan, inviting you into the Tiki Bar every Tuesday night from 6 until 7 p.m. It's nothing but the best in Jimmy Buffett music for the full hour, 6 to 7, Tuesday nights, right here on ON Radio. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by Papa John's Pizza, 1049 Pass Avenue on the corner of Menden Road here in Woonsocket. Remember, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. It's the Tiki Bar right here on ON 1240 WON socket radio every tuesday night from six to seven okay we're gonna go right back to our letters we have a lot to cover this evening we'll talk about our charities at the end of the show uh but again i certainly have to agree with you uh yvette that um the paranormal investigators uh you know with their all their their little shirts and dressing in black and i don't know somebody else wrote about this you know shaving their heads i mean i don't understand any of that and how they expect anybody to take it seriously let alone get anywhere in the field is beyond me but again this is the hobbyist uh, feral ghost hunter phenomenon that i think is really dangerous people shouldn't be doing it it's not like butterfly collecting all right here's one from fran in I don't know where. It's presumably Litchfield County, Connecticut. A lot of people from uh, nowhere tonight. Yes, Um, people from nowhere. The nowhere people. Uh, So a friend writes to us, Hi, Paul. Uh, I've been following along the case in Litchfield. Um, Is there any limestone in that area? Okay, that's a good question. I wrote down my answer because it's a a complicated mineral-related geological question. Uh, I, I would ref- to find out about this Litchfield, Connecticut case, not, not the town of Litchfield, the whole county seems to be affected. Uh, we refer you to the podcast for last week's show, uh, February 16th. Uh, we had a panel to discuss this very case with Shane Searway, Ben, myself, and our dear friend William J. Hall, the author of the book I just mentioned, who's writing another book on this Litchfield case. And that's called The Haunted House Diaries, and that'll be available in August from New Page Books. So. Check that out. So to get some background on this case, which we've talked about many times, check out that show and that'll fill you in. So uh, I think what um, what Fran is asking about here is the uh, that there is a um, belief that the existence of limestone 
in the ground will somehow um, facilitate paranormal activity. Now, there is something to be said for some of this business about the, the geotechnical factors involved in paranormal uh, activity. We have found, and as a matter of fact, I used to bring, before Ben got involved, I used to bring a soil engineer, a hydrologist, with me on some of these cases, and they could uh, check out, without doing serious and expensive work, they, they could more or less see whether you've got sandy or clay soils, and that seemed to uh, conduct electromagnetic energy which has to do with the, the boundaries, what we believe, anyway, between these worlds. And when those boundaries are thinner, weird stuff starts to happen. That's what we actually find. And even on an electromagnetic field beater, you find that the, well, which ghost hunters use, but I don't think they understand, when the polarity of the field is reversed, in other words, you get negative numbers in the readings, that means the, the electrical flow is from somewhere to somewhere else that, isn't, that is really weird, so you're probably getting... A feedback from a parallel reality here. That's what we seem to find anyway, because then stuff starts to happen. So to answer your question, Fran, uh, <clears throat> actually, the closest major limestone deposit that we're aware of is up in Canaan, Connecticut, which is not, that's in Litchfield County, but it's outside the hot spot we're working with and have been working with since 05, one of Ben's first cases. Now, that may be because we haven't investigated that far up in the county, but as far as we know, uh, that's not necessarily really close enough to have any effect. I'm thinking, too, uh, Ben, of the um, uh, Conklin Limestone Quarry over here in Lincoln, Rhode Island, not, f you know, not far from where we are broadcasting now. And uh, the, the, I've never noticed any particular um, uh, paranormal sort of uh, outbreak or any, any particular so like a number of, of cases in that vicinity. I don't get. I don't know. I just don't understand the mechanism for it. Like I've heard people like make make things say things about it, but I feel like most of the things in this field are just speculation. That well, they are. Well, obviously it's speculation. But what I'm, I'm saying is, it's like they just say things that sound nice. You know what I mean? Well, a lot of people, especially some mediums and stuff, they, they like to say things that sound scientific. Oh well, it's being and recorded on the limestone, and it's like how? Well, I don't, th I don't think she. I don't think France suggesting it's being recorded on the limestone. No, no. I mean, yeah, I just, I, I I'm aware. It's a con it's a conductor. I know that. Yeah. Like, well, I, yeah, conductor. I, but, but I mean, is it? I mean, I'm I'm not. I, I think that you're dealing more with uh, um, the groundwater features as conductors than than perhaps some of these. Certainly, quartz uh, is considered oh, that's a what conductor. Oh, yeah, no, you're thinking of... Uh, yeah, you're thinking of quartz, of quartz. Yeah. okay. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and there's been some speculation, even on this show, about iron oxide. You know, because people say, well, oh, this is a, a residual haunting. Wait, something rust? Yeah, essentially, you know... Uh, so if you have a rusty car, then your house is haunted. Well, no, that well, that, that gets into iron and ships and all sorts of things we've discussed before, but it gets really complicated. But I don't think the limestone... Um, theory really holds too much water pardon the pun because there's yeah, a big, big good, quarry good, with good water pun, yeah. yeah but in any case uh, i don't know but just to answer uh fran's immediate question uh there isn't any that in any sort of major limestone deposit that i'm aware of closer than Kane in connecticut so uh we'll yeah. just we'll just leave that but no one really really knows uh, here's one from Allie in Rentham, Massachusetts, right in our listening area here. Cool. So Allie writes to us, Can your diet have anything to do with your paranormal experiences? And if it does, uh, what is it? What, what is what? Uh, oh, what, is, what, 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 what is the diet? Oh, yeah. duh. The uh, how diet. do you know the experiences are real or and not just the diet? 
Um, well, I mean, didn't we answer this before? No, I don't think so. I think someone asked a similar question, so I'll give a similar well, answer. It's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good question. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, well, I mean, I've been a vegetarian for over five years now. Um, and I don't know, I guess. I mean, what you put in, you are what you eat, basically. I mean, that is a, it, it's a really dumb thing to say. But like, if you, a lot of people have said it. A lot of people who, who are intelligent. Well, by dumb, I mean it's cliched. Um, it may be cliched, but it makes a lot of sense. So if you eat a lot of, um, I eat a lot of vegetables and like beans and things like that, and don't eat, I don't eat any meat. I don't eat poultry. I can't physically digest it. Don't ask why, because I don't even know. Doctors don't know. It doesn't make any sense. He's not an alien hybrid, as far as I know. So, um, well, the experiences I've had are really out of the box. Not like, oh, I see dead people kind of things. I don't, I, I don't see dead people. That doesn't happen with me I don't really there are no dead people no exactly that's where I was going with that <laughs> so I mean I guess I guess it can um, I don't really know it, it's like one of those things where you put in what you get out of it I guess is a good way of putting it I'm trying to think of a way to put it that's well I, I know what you mean I have kind of looked into that over the years and uh, from the viewpoint of and it's again sprucing up the chapters of our book before I sent it into um the agent this morning, it brought a lot of things to mind that I hadn't thought about in a while. One of them was this. I was thinking in terms of people who are considered, if you look back through history, very holy, or the Buddhas, or some of the saints, or um, people who just were, were known as mystics, or people who were guides for, uh, for others in the spiritual life, didn't really go heavy on on the diet. In other words, uh, they didn't eat a lot of meat because meat, for some reason, seems to well, it slows down the metabolism. It slows down the metabolism, and you, when you're, I think it's as simple as this: when your body is concerned with digestion and um, your stomach's turning over, all different, you know, you're, you're just concerned with that, and you feel heavier. Your mind is 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 not free enough, I don't think, to really be aware of what's going on around you. I actually read nature. that somewhere. It was like like um um. Heavy foods are like a weight upon your mind. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. So if like if you look at most spiritual diets, it's usually like eat less carbs, eat less meat, eat more like vegetables and fruits. It's it's really simple stuff. It's it is simple. You, yeah. you just have to tell yourself to do it. Yeah, really. Now the question may be might arise or arose in my mind more than once. Okay, we we often point to our remote ancestors as being very aware of the multiverse, uh, you know, the shaman uh, phenomenon, you know, people using the multiverse to bring about what, what they needed in their lives, this sort of thing in the shamanistic traditions. Well, a lot of them ate nothing but meat. It was all they could get in the winter. But on the other hand, they didn't, they didn't seem to overeat. I mean, they didn't, they didn't uh, you know, eat half a cow and then plop down in front of the TV set for six hours. Yeah, you know, they were all they were they lived outside. They were always working, hunting. So there probably was some, something of a balance there. But for us, we live a very unnatural lifestyle in artificial environments. Half the foods are artificial. So I think yeah, yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for a simple diet that will help you spiritually. And maybe as a byproduct, this depends on what words you're using to describe what. Do you mean spiritual or paranormal? Maybe it's the same two sides of the same coin. 
So yeah, if your body is lighter, we're not concerned with heavy digestion. Yeah, you're gonna. I think you're gonna be more aware. And of course, the rest of the question had to do with well, how do you know it's real and not just the diet working on your mind? Well, what do you mean real? If it happens to you, I would say it's 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 real. Um, you have to use standards of judgment and good sense and um, that sort of thing in order to, to judge what's real and what's not. And, and that involves uh, not being living entirely by yourself spiritually, uh, trying to find someone who has a little more experience and maybe can tell you, well, yeah, I'd be a little careful of this, a little careful of that, maybe not of this. So it's uh, really up to you. But, uh, yeah, I think diet helps, and uh, I think it's real, can be real. Is that the end of the question? Yep, that's it. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, writing it. We're going to skip this next one and move on because this one's going to take, well, no, never mind. We'll, we'll do this, this question first. So this is uh, from Justin in Norwich, England. Uh, what do you think of the U.S. government's admission that John Burroughs really did pick up radiation at the Rendlesham Forest in 1980? Okay, well, I did look this up. As a matter of fact, John, uh, who's a good friend of ours, sent us the press release on that. Picked up okay. radiation. You mean like radiation well, poisoning? There, well, yeah, to the point of damaging his health. Now there is, there's a lot, there's a lot, there are a lot of caveats to this. Okay, now for those who don't know, I refer you to our million and a half shows on the Rendlesham Forest case which uh, was, is very important in the history of UFO research and, and I think in paranormal research in general because the whole area is hot and st- things are still going on there. Rendlesham Forest, uh, just very briefly, is a forest uh, in eastern England in the county of Suffolk. And as a matter of fact, Norwich, uh, where our listener is writing from, is not far from there. He's probably been there himself. To this day, people see strange things. Ben and I saw strange things there, uh, a lot of weird photographs, things like this. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's uh, definitely a uh, very active paranormal place. But the best-known paranormal phenomenon, uh, phenomena that occurred there was in December, were in December 1980 uh, when U.S. Air Force personnel, there happened to be two air bases straddling this forest. They happened to uh, see uh, landings of craft, uh, strange lights in the sky, of course, including high-ranking officers. There are varying stories about what happened, but uh, nobody disagrees that John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, (coughs) Air Force personnel at the time, went into the forest uh, and and had close contact with a landed craft uh, that, well, what it was was, is a matter of debate, but uh, certainly can be described as a UFO or... or, or, uh, UAP, as they say today, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Okay, and uh, Jim and and um, John have always been um, at, at the the blunt end of the stick when it comes to the the Veterans uh, Administration and their medical care because the government would never admit that they had any sorts of injuries from this, particularly radiation. And just um, uh, as of February 22nd, this is yesterday, a press release came from uh, from John and his attorney, both of whom we know and both of whom have been on the show, announcing uh, this, is that the U.S. government has for the first time ever acknowledged the de facto, by de facto, the long-suspected reality of the UFO phenomenon. Now, reading the rest of this, it... And I'd like to see the government statement on this. I haven't seen it because this only came in today. That, and I don't, don't want to speculate. But I suspect very strongly uh, that they did not mention the existence of UFOs. They simply said that something irradiated 
John, whom I'm very, who's a wonderful fellow, and we, we, we really like him as a friend. But he has been uh, now uh, able to have uh, some medical care because of this admission. Uh, and uh, although his, his military records are still classified, Air Force, and so uh, at least uh, some some help has been given to John, which he which he richly deserves. The fellows who went through this are, uh, and with some women too, are, are are heroes in our opinion. But in any case. Uh, just because they admitted that he was irradiated, even if it was at Rendlesham Forest, does not say what irradiated him. So I don't, I, again, I'd have to see the material. And just an answer to the question, uh, I'd like to see it first. And uh, I just, I'm, I'd be very surprised if they admitted that it was some sort of UFO. But that he went into the forest and was irradiated, it could have been anything. You know, a crash, craft of some kind or whatever, and there's all speculation about that. So this may not be quite the... Um, uh, landmark yeah. th- that people think think that it is. That's just my idea. What do you think, Ben? You've been there. Uh, well, I don't know. I think I think that it would be presumptuous to say that. Oh, hey, the United States government exi- uh, says that. Oh, there was something that happened. There was like UFOs or whatever. There. I think the fact that they're saying something is go- is a good thing. That is, it's a step in the right direction. Now, something. But it's going to be a very very long time. And it's probably going to be out of both of our lifetimes before anything really comes well, out. Well, probably. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the whole UFO question is, is a very big one. Uh, these are not necessarily... Uh, and I think it's another question that kind of gets into this. Maybe we can talk about that. So why don't we move on to the next question. But, but again, I, I don't have any great... Um, I'm just glad John John got some help. And I hope Jim does, too. Yeah, I didn't even know that. I guess yeah. I'm fine. Well, again, this, is date, this press release is dated February 22nd, but it's not from the U.S. government. It's from, from uh, John, John and his attorney. And I'd right. like to see the whatever information there is available from the government source that uh, originated this. I guess we'll get back to that. Yeah. All right. So moving on, you got uh, J.D. from Glen Falls, uh, New York. Uh, and he writes to us, or her, uh, if... I just read uh, William J. Hall's great book on Lindley Street Poltergeist. Uh, my question uh, is for Paul. Uh, do you really consider it the world's most haunted house? There's a couple of questions in this, so tell me when to stop. All right, well, let me deal, deal with them one at a time. Okay. All right, well, the, the title of the book, and we just, we just mentioned it, is The World's Most Haunted House, and he was, the author was on the show last week. Uh, we're live in studio here. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's the title. The World's Most Haunted House was often considered Borley Rectory, in England, which doesn't exist anymore, and uh, it was Harry Price, uh, one of the first ghost hunters, quote unquote, who wrote about it in the early 20th century. And I, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what do you mean by the world's most haunted house? So, you know, what makes it most haunted as opposed to not most haunted? I mean, I mean, it's, it's just the title of the book. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, I was there, but there are a lot of places I haven't been that are pretty wild too. So I, I just, I, I don't really know how to answer the question. So, what's, what's the next? Uh, next portion of it is, uh, the Warrens are very controversial. What was it like working with them? Oh, that's a loaded question. Okay, uh, as I've said before, I have very happy memories of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And Lorraine Warren, for those who don't know, were probably, uh, I, I consider them sort of the grandmother and grandfather of modern ghost hunting, quote-unquote, a term for which I do not have a lot of respect. Uh, they started out in the 1950s, and uh, that, that's pr- some pretty, pretty good uh, uh, experience. Uh, Ed passed away in 2012, and, I, um, and Lorraine uh, is still around. But I've been out of touch with them since 1978 uh, when I so, questioned, started to question them. I worked with them from 72 to 78 while I was a seminary student uh, studying for the priesthood. And in 78, I just 
you know, we, we kind of amicably kind of parted ways over a case. I just really was starting to question their methods and um, some of the theories as well and some other things. So, I mean, it was uh, I was very close to them personally, um, particularly Lorraine. And uh, I just, um, what was it like working with them? Well, it was confusing for one thing not through any fault of theirs i don't think there was a this case really was was very chaotic but of course i do blame ed for inviting the media in ironically i've been a journalist for 35 years and the last people i would call are journalists Mm. to come in on a case like this it does not serve the purpose of helping people okay this family, the Gooden family of Bridgeport, Connecticut, was just in, upside down. You, the things going on in this house, you had to see to believe. Um, I witnessed flying objects, including refrigerators and things like that, television sets, in the presence of police officers and firefighters. And again, the book tells, tells the whole story. It was in the news all over the world, and uh, it, it was quite quite the situation. But I, I, had I been in charge, I never would have allowed it to uh, deteriorate into that kind of situation. But in any case, it was what it was, and it was, um, I'm glad I did work with them. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I, but again, I, I don't... If you look at their website today, uh, they and their followers do not seem to have progressed beyond the 19th century. And of course, I was there too, because they were very devout Roman Catholics, so they said, and I was a Roman Catholic seminary student, and we had the same point of view on what this was all about, demons, okay? And I don't believe that anymore. I don't think that's good enough. But, um, so so it was, it was great working with them, but I, I'm glad I kind of parted ways when I did. So that, I hope that answers the question. Okay, next uh, portion of the question. Uh, this, this is uh, one of two final pieces. Uh, if the media was all over this, uh, why are there no pictures of things flying around? That's a good question. Uh, I'm often asked that. How come there aren't more pictures? Everybody today, you turn on the news and there's always somebody out there getting pictures of the the automobile accident or the fire. However, how many pictures are there on the news of the fire actually starting? Because I suppose the person would have to be the arsonist in order to get the picture. Or or a a traffic accident as it occurs. Now, sure, now now there are more of those because you have... uh, Cam- traffic cameras all over the place, and everybody's you know watching traffic, and you can see accidents as they occur. But but back in 1974, and even even uh, even now to some degree, these things, these paranormal events happen very very quickly, and um, y- you don't expect them. And as a matter of fact, I, I don't remember just using that Bridgeport case as an example. I don't remember a single event and there were a lot of things going on in that house happening when I was looking directly at something. You know, we'd be in the kitchen and, and the we'd hear a noise in the living room and, and you'd look and you'd see the uh, the the, uh, the coffee table flipping over, jumping across the room, that kind of thing. Um, I was at one point standing behind uh, the little girl, this Marcy as we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, her chair in the kitchen, the kitchen table, and I had my hand on the back of the chair. Ed Warren had me watching this child the whole time we were there a, few, a couple of days uh, to make sure she was not doing exactly what the police accused her of doing later, which was causing all these phenomena, which is nonsense. And that chair rose, rose as I was holding it, and I, and I pushed it back down, and, I, and I, could, I could swear I felt something letting go. Now, 
I don't, whether I had anything to do with that, I don't know. Uh, you know, paranormally speaking, when you're in contact with that, maybe that has something to do, but I don't know. So uh, that's one of the closest times I ever came to actually seeing something occurring uh, as it began, you know, rather than turning to see it as it was happening. So um, uh, it's not that easy to get photographs of something you cannot anticipate in any way. No. The only thing that is, is happening now, and, and the Shane Searway has been doing this in the, the Litchfield County case, setting up cameras and just letting them run. People are doing that now, so, so there may be better pictures. But in, in the Bridgeport case in 1974, we didn't have that technology at the time. You know, you, you had to be pointing a camera at something just as it happened, and that, that never seemed to occur. But that is a good question, and the place is crawling with reporters, and, and, people, and, and they saw things, but they didn't necessarily get pictures of them. So if there were any pictures taken, I don't know uh, where they might be. And, and Bill Hall would have found them when he was writing that book. So what's the last part of the question? Okay, final portion. Have you had other cases like this, and were they reported in the media? No. Well, yes and no. Literally, uh, there was. A, I have had other cases, kind of like the, probably the one that was closest to that was a year later in uh, North Haven, Connecticut, near Orange, Connecticut, actually, and and it was uh, a. Uh, it's, it's written in my book, Footsteps in the Attic. Uh, I have a full account of it in there, and uh, the Warrens were not involved. It was just me. And it was a friend of mine who I'd known from the seminary, and, and they, we had been, uh, he had been helping these people who were, were trying to help them. Uh, there was a, uh, um, a well, a, a commercial slash residential building. In other words, there was a storefront, like a convenience store, with a uh, an apartment above uh, that in which the owners lived. Now the uh, the man had had passed away or translated, and uh, people say, "Aha, must have been his ghost." Well, now it's nonsense. And the, his wife was uh, keeping the store going, and they had a uh, a daughter, just one child. And the wife and the daughter continued to live above the store, and they had to close the store because weird things were happening. And uh, she was very sensible about this, because th- this Bridgeport case was fresh in everybody's mind. It had been in all the papers and all over TV and radio, and people didn't want repeats of that, certainly not in their own homes. So uh, my friend called me in, and I went down, and, and uh, she pulled me in, and I, and I went upstairs to the apartment, and you should have seen the place. It was the cl- I think it was the closest thing I'd ever seen to what Hollywood portrays as these poltergeists. You know, there was scrawls on the wall, and the stuff would appear uh, there, and, and I, I took pictures in there, but not a single one. I, I only got one blurry picture from that whole time. The uh, woman had done everything to make it worse, unbeknownst to herself. She she would uh, she sent the daughter to live in um, with with a uh, an aunt while this was going on, and she called in uh, mediums and she'd had a séance. It used Ouija boards. This is all the worst stuff you can do. It just feeds the parasites and makes them stronger. And there were six, I believe, active at this point in in this house. By the time I got there. They had pretty much gotten everything that they could eat, so to speak, and uh, it didn't take a lot to get rid of them. Although uh, there was a huge chair thrown at my head. Uh, I mean, it was the size of a Volkswagen. It was a big leather chair. And uh, th- that, was, uh, that was kind of a disconcerting experience, to say the least. But there, was, uh, there were obscenities scrawled on the wall. There were uh, gouges in the wall. And again, I'd never seen such destruction from poltergeist, not even in the Bridgeport case. Maybe this was the world's most haunted house. I don't know. So, uh, in any case, we worked with a woman, and uh, we, we uh, got rid of that one by using a joke book. You know, in the Bridgeport house, there had been, I'd used a prayer book, 
for what it was worth. Now, I didn't, you know, there was a, one of the news stories said I performed an exorcism, which is nonsense. Uh, I just read read some prayers with the people just to calm everything down, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work. But in the New, in the New Haven, our North Haven case, uh, this was really serious. We, we brought in uh, the daughter and my friend and, and the woman, and we just, we just laughed it up. We brought all kinds of positive energy through humor. And uh, the, the thing was never seen or heard from again. But again, it had pretty much uh, run its course. And as far as I know, and we do make sure we follow up on these things, there were no uh, recurrences of this. And again, this is you know, 45 years ago, so in any case... So I guess that's about all we have time for, eh, Ben? Indeed. And thank you again for the the very intelligent and uh, uh, thought-provoking questions. And we will try to find out more, I'm sure, about uh, Jim Pennison's and John Burroughs' situation there with the government statement on uh, whatever whatever they said about the Reynolds from Forest incident, and if, if anything, and that they were... It's uh, probably going to be nothing. It's probably just going to be a weird run around. Like well, it's still a step ahead. Yeah, that's, so that's, I, that's I'm, true. I'm glad for John. He's a good guy. Anyway, uh, back to announcements. Uh, visit our show website. That's at BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts and past shows from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And you can find my books, including Footsteps in the Attic, the one I just mentioned with the New Haven case in it, uh, at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, and all those great places. But if you buy them directly online at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Uh, also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities that Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Uh, USA Cares is a great charity. They, do, they render financial help to the families of veterans who have been killed uh, and the families of wounded veterans. And, and um, you know, if they have a short on the mortgage that month, out goes a check. They're, they're great folks. USACares.org. Check that out. And up north, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Mike Blaze in Ontario, uh, started this wonderful group that is, advocates legislatively and uh, helps Canadian veterans who I think in many ways do not have uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the services that the, our veterans have in the U.S. And uh, they're great folks, and we're related to some of the Canadian veterans up there, great people, and uh, th- they need all the support they can get, and CanadiansVeteransAdvocacy.org uh, helps do that. Also, Youth, youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Uh, Tony LaRay out there doing great stuff for at-risk youth using indigenous wisdom. Uh, in other words, uh, some of the most ancient wisdom of the human race, nothing occult about it, uh, doing great things for those, those young, young folks out there. YouthMentoring.org. So next Monday, that's uh, March 22nd. Second. Twenty. Look, geez, I'm like way ahead of myself. Time flies. March 2nd. There we go. March 2nd here on ON1240 and ONWorldwide.com. Uh, we will welcome uh, West Virginia investigator and author uh, Tanya Bowman to discuss the mystery of injured cold. Uh, her father was the model for the character Gordon Smallwood in the movie The Mothman Prophecies, and there are some local connections to northern Rhode Island as well. Yeah, and I'll give you a hint. It's with our good friend, uh, the late Joe Ferrier, who was a much, much, much loved figure on this station and in mm. the UFO community at the time. So we leave you this evening with a quote from Person or Persons Unknown, Life is like a piano. What you get out of it depends on what you play on it. Reminds me of what we said earlier, Ben. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I was thinking more Forrest Gump. Anyway. Uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. 
for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.